In the name of the living God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So this morning I want you to think about what you know about the prophet Ezekiel. Think in your head. And you may not remember a thing about this prophet. If you've been to Trader Joe's, you've seen Ezekiel bread. That's a reference to Ezekiel chapter 4. You may think of the valley of dry bones that we hear at the Easter vigil as we await the coming of, of the resurrected Christ. That's a common remembrance of the prophet Ezekiel. Let's learn a little bit more this morning. Ezekiel, he was the author of the first lesson we heard this morning in the, from the Hebrew Scriptures. This was a man who was born into a time of relative prosperity. And then, at age 26, he was taken away by the Babylonians into captivity. He went with several thousand Jews. He went away from his home in Jerusalem as a prisoner of war. Ezekiel wanted to become a priest, and so did the people in his community. It was his vocation that he aspired to. But that was temple work. And now he was 900 miles away from the temple in Babylon. No home, no career. The temple, that symbol of hope for his future, his life as a priest, it would be destroyed before he turned 40. Well, we are not living in exile as Ezekiel is. I bet all of us in this room can relate to some form or another of disappointment with life. It might be a hardship or a catastrophe. Our human reality as of late, as a nation, as a world, has been laced with tragedy. The Twin Towers seem to be that symbol of our decade, the planes crashing into this great symbol of freedom and economic prosperity. And our economy has since tumbled leaving many without a job. Just this week, the news report said that we have the highest unemployment rate for people under 30 since World War II. Some of you or your relatives may have lost your homes or may not have been able to afford a roof over your head in these past months and years without the help of someone else. You might be helping someone else. All around us, People are dealing with their own personal catastrophes. You may be dealing with a broken relationship or marriage, and that threatens our sense of security, our meaning about the nature of love and commitment. Alcoholism, addiction, it rages on behind closed doors. Treatments for cancer and chronic illness have seemed to define either us or someone that we love. And many of us here in this room are picking up the pieces after a loved one has died. We are living in a time where hardship is hard to avoid. The people of Israel were living in those tragic times, too. It was the 6th century BCE. Babylon had invaded Israel. The great pillar of the Israelites, the temple, would soon be destroyed by fire. 
the people were losing everything in which they had placed their hope, their freedom, the integrity of their country, their work, their life as they knew it. We're not unlike the Israelites in how we deal with challenging times. Eugene Peterson, the author of the message paraphrase of the Bible, explains the Israelites in exile and how they dealt with this time of trouble and hardship and catastrophe. Catastrophe strikes, and a person's world falls apart. People respond variously, but the two more common responses are denial and despair. Denial refuses to acknowledge the catastrophe. It shuts its eyes or looks the other way. It manages to act as if everything is going to be just fine. It takes refuge in distractions and lies and fantasies. Despair is paralyzed by the catastrophe, accepts it as the end of the world, unwilling to do anything It concludes that life, for all intents and purposes, as we know it, is over. Despair listlessly closes its eyes to a world in which all the color has drained out, a world gone dead. I'd add that another reaction to misfortune, hardship, or catastrophe is to point the finger, to blame others for the state we find ourselves in. We see it plainly in Congress, each party blaming the other party, or either our present or past president for our present economic calamity. And for many of us, that blame mentality extends into our homes. Think of your own personal problems or rubs against somebody or crises. Who's to blame? A common proverb of the day For the Israelites was, the parents have eaten sour grapes and the children's teeth have been set on edge. We still hear that proverb alive and well today, spoken as, the sins of the father will visit his children a thousand times. And yes, certainly, the decisions of our parents, our grandparents, the lives of those, the actions of those lives that came before us, yeah, they impact our lives. Ezekiel could have blamed his parents or others before him, those in power making decisions. It would have been easy for Ezekiel to deny that this was a terrible reality that he was in. It would have been easy for him to give up and turn to despair like most of the Israelites at the time. But Ezekiel listened for the still, small voice of God. And that voice told him to share this lesson with everyone else. God said, your life is your own. And every soul, man, woman, child, belongs to me. You live right here and right now, a product of the circumstances of the world around you, yes, but ultimately responsible for how life will go on from this moment. You choose a path of life or a path of death for yourself, and you do it right now. Ezekiel realized that when it came to changing anything, The only thing he could change, the only person he could change, 
was himself. The only way to change circumstances was through his individual life offered in response to God. Ezekiel's prophecy moved an entire generation to do the same, to seek God, to get a new heart, to turn, turn away from the places of death, even when they were all around him, into the places of life. And those people, those Jews, the Israelites, they emerged from an entire century of hardship and ruin, robust and whole. Let's look at the gospel for a moment this morning. The chief priests and the elders, they were the ones who were faithfully worshiping God, going to synagogue. They knew what they believed and they proclaimed it loudly. They knew the right words to say. That is until Jesus turned their questions back on them. And then they didn't know. And they saw Jesus flipping over tables, literally, in their temple, calling them to turn, to change, to follow him, to take a different pathway than they'd been taking all along. Jesus told these faithful, believing priests and elders a parable. A father asks his sons to go and work in a vineyard, and the one son says, I'm not going to go. But then he changes his mind. And he goes and he does the work anyway. The other son reverently says, I will go and work, sir. And winds up not doing a thing. (laughs) That's right, he was a lazy bum then. (laughs) Jesus says, when you don't acknowledge what you say you believe with the actions of your life, your words alone worth nothing. All of us who are sitting here in church today ought to be pretty nervous. Those texts today that we heard, especially the gospel, they're about us. We, like the chief priests and elders, we know what we believe. We sit and stand and kneel and bow every week together in worship. We say a lot of things about what we believe during these moments together including the belief that the cross of Jesus, this way of humility, is a way to life. But are we like the son who says, I go, sir, but winds up not doing a thing beyond saying these words? What exactly are we doing outside of this place that reflects what we are doing and saying here? Sometimes the best of life is only there for the taking when we move through the worst of life. Our potential is only met by moving through our greatest fears about ourselves, about our interactions with others. Paul calls us to follow this example in his letter to the Philippians this morning. God's Son came into this world. This world was a mess. He could have gone right back, but no. Jesus, knowing he had equal status with God, didn't think so much of himself to cling to the advantages he had of that status. He set all that aside and changed. 
became human. He didn't just try on being a human, but stayed human. Didn't claim any special privileges. Didn't save himself from suffering, from pain, from death. He didn't even save himself when he could have from execution on a cross. And it was by moving through this ultimate place of pain that the world knew eternal life. That death, that way of Jesus, we're called to that way, not, not to do it all over again, but to move through our own places of pain, to know that on the other end there is life. The Apostle Paul says something that's both a little terrifying and, I believe, very compelling in his letter to the Philippians this morning. He says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Changing our ways can be terrifying. But we have the assurance that as we turn toward life, God is working in us, empowering us both to seek God's will and to do it. And God is pleased. The prophet Ezekiel assured us that God takes no pleasure in seeing his people experiencing ways of pain and suffering and death. He longs for us to choose ways of life. Jesus is urging us to make that choice, to turn from death, to live. Not just to say, I go, sir, into the vineyards of this world, but to actually go and do the work. What needs to be done so that your life mirrors what you say you believe? Sitting here and worshiping, Praying without going and doing what we say we believe and pray is just as good as one of those chief priests or elders in the gospel. Jesus told them, the tax collectors and the prostitutes will go before you into the kingdom of heaven. Those crooks, those prostitutes, they turn their lives around. But even when you saw their changed lives, you didn't care enough to change yourself. It was when the Jews began to listen to the prophet Ezekiel to actually do as God said, to get a new heart, a new spirit, that they, inch by inch, footstep by footstep in the right direction, emerged from their place of struggle. Now, of course, just sitting here, praying without doing, is enough. Yes, it's enough for an all-loving God. God loved the self-righteous chief priests and elders just as much as those humble, seeking prostitutes and crooks who changed their lives. But moving through our pain and struggle is how God ultimately moves us to become the answer to our own prayers, no matter who we are. What are you doing once you leave here? What needs to change? How might you turn and live? The only person you can change is yourself. And the only way to change yourself or anything else in this world is through what you do. 
The good news is that we are here to encourage one another in our movements toward life. Every week at this table, we celebrate Christ broken and then raised. And we feed in our hearts on that. And we come up here and we make a commitment to move our own broken lives toward wholeness. Take that nourishment. Get a new heart. Get a new spirit. Do it here and now. Turn then and live. Amen.